Hello, my name's Tom Boone. And I'm Joanna Bailey. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Simple Flying Podcast, where we'll give you the lowdown on the latest news from the world of commercial aviation. Here's what we have for you this week. Coming up today, Tom will tell us about a group of A220s making a mammoth journey across the world, while I recap the highlights of our webinar with EasyJet CEO, Johan Lundgren. I'll look at the US's new flight ban over Afghanistan, while Joe reviews Airbus's results and its exciting new plane announcement. Finally, Tom will see just how much a little bit of an A380 is really worth. So now you know what's in store, let's get on with the show. And I really wanted to start today because I'm having like a sort of A320 fever, um, (laughs) if that makes sense. Um, Because I was looking and last week we uh, got the exciting news that Air Air Austral, I believe, I probably said that wrong, Austral, Austral, (laughs) um, has basically they've beaten Air France as the first French operator of the A220 because I, as you, I think it was you who wrote that Air France has been painting their new A, A220s, but yeah. they're not ready for delivery yet, are they? Oof. <laughs> no, not quite. Well, Air Austral's ordered three of them and the three of them are ready and they seem to all be coming over at once. So two, but they're not going straight to Reunion because the interesting thing is, according to Airbus, the A220-300 has a range of 3,400 nautical miles Um which is not good enough because from Mirabel, which is where they were built, to Reunion is 7,933 nautical miles. So it doesn't take wow. a genius to figure out that the aircraft isn't going to make it on one fuel tank. So No, exactly. You're going to need at least one, if not two, stopovers en route. So um, the three aircraft have all left Mirabel, but they didn't even fly direct to where they're going. They instead flew across for about an hour to Moncton, which is like proper East Coast Canada. Oh, um, right. So I guess just making the Atlantic portion as short as possible. Um, and then they still didn't go where they were going. So then oh. after Moncton, they went to the French capital of Paris and landed at Charles de Gaulle, uh, which was around five to six hours. And then they did another short hour-long hop to Toulouse. So... Um, two of the aircraft and possibly the third while by the time you've heard this are now in Toulouse. Um, the two that were there are uh, Foxtrot Oscar Lima Alpha Victor and Foxtrot Oscar Mike Echo Romeo. Uh, but they're also going to be joined by Foxtrot Oscar Tango Echo Romeo. And <laughs> Easy for yeah. you to say. <laughs> when you're a pilot. Um, <laughs> Well, it's interesting because I was I was reading in airjournal.fr that the aircraft apparently won't in immediately go from Toulouse to Reunion. Apparently, they're going to uh, train the new or the uh, Air Austral pilots in Toulouse first before they ferry the aircraft to the new island home. Okay. And it gets even more interesting because there's going to be even more stops because Toulouse to Reunion is outside of the range of the aircraft still. So it's going to have to stop somewhere to refuel en route. But then um, they're finally expected to arrive on the island on August 12th. Okay. That's quite um, a long... So- journey isn't it Lots it's of a very about. long journey you know there's at least one two three four four stops en route if wow. um, assuming there's only one stop between Toulouse and Reunion but <laughs> the one thing that I do kind of question is why why they stopped in um, Charles de Gaulle I wonder if that was maybe a regulatory thing with the French civil aviation authority Possibly. or something because yeah. um, 
doesn't seem to make any sense. It can't have been any further to fly straight to Toulouse, really. Yeah, maybe a little bit further, but not drastically further. And, you know, um, I'm sure... Well, I would have thought that the French civil aviation people had a base in Toulouse because they're going to need to do a lot of work in Toulouse with um, with Airbus being based there. But Yeah, of course. I, I don't know. Maybe you should uh, reach out to Airbus and see if they can tell you. If I have time, perhaps I will. <laughs> no, but if you're Airbus <laughs> and you're listening, feel free to reach out to me in the meantime. Um, but, you know, I, what I did love is that you've said this before on the podcast, I think, is that each of these is going to have a different tail kind of showcasing. They've got um, such beautiful liveries on their tails. I love them. Yeah. Well, you know, I wasn't really sold by the Sunset uh, Beach one that was the first aircraft. But now I've seen the second one is sort of like a more green blue um waterfall type river mm. s- scenario nice. um, I, on and that's on f omer uh, to shorten my phonetic <laughs> spelling um i really like that one so i'm just really intrigued to see what's on the last aircraft yeah definitely they they're almost like works of art you know i think mm. uh, i'm guessing this is an iac paint job because they they are experts at doing these beautiful tales and uh, yeah they're stunning they should be so proud of those they're really lovely mm. Yeah, I would have assumed it was an Airbus paint job, but <laughs> I, d- I don't know. Does Airbus do its own painting? I'm not yeah. not aware you, of the usually, process. Usually, because um, I remember when they were delivering the Air Canada A220s, they painted the logo on the tail the wrong way, and they oh, had to yes, repaint I do it. Remember, remember that? Actually, yeah. you're right. Oh well, congratulations, Airbus. Then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So while we're on the subject of Airbus, let's uh, let's have a look at how they did in the first half of the year. And it was actually a very good first half, considering all the challenges that are going on at the moment. Um, Airbus posted a profit of 2.2 billion euros or 2.6 billion dollars for the first six months from January to June. So mm. to have a positive result in the current climate, you know, that's notable. It's not, mm. you know, it's it's a really really good result. So I'm really. I mean, it wasn't them. just Airbus though. They um, Boeing got. The- their first positive result for uh, since 2019, but it wasn't nearly as high as what you're talking about. No, it wasn't. But, you know, I think in general, we're starting to see a turnaround. You know, airlines yeah. are posting their, their half-year profits at the moment as well. And there are a few that are in the red. In the red? Hmm. Yeah, in, in the, the black. black. <laughs> the red's Not the a stockholder, <laughs> sorry, guys. Um, but, yeah, it does seem that we've turned a corner and um, Airbus managed to deliver nearly 300 commercial aircraft during the first six months. Um, As a sort of benchmark, if you like, Boeing delivered about half that. So they had 156 against Airbus's 297. So, um, you know, clearly a really good first half for Airbus, considering of Hmm. the 297 they delivered, it was 21 A220s, 237 A320 family jets. Uh, 7A330s, 30A350s and 2 A380s, two of the last four to be delivered this year, Five. I believe. Five? <laughs> two, two this year, three next year. Got it. Okay, thanks, Tom. I, I'll defer to you for all A380 knowledge in future. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, you know, there's still thousands of planes on the backlog. The backlog is really healthy. It's um, almost 7,000 aircraft. So, you know, there's a, hmm. a lot of business for Airbus there in the future and, and clearly why it's keenly ramping up its production speed. Um, and it expects to end the year well. I mean, I guess there are still some uncertainties in terms of where the world is going, but in general, it's a positive outlook they reckon they'll make four billion euros for the whole year 
um, or $4.75 billion, and will deliver around 600 aircraft. So sort of the same again, um, but, you know, all dependent on variants and other things that we don't want to talk about today. Um, <laughs> but the most exciting thing for me during the second half presentation was finally they've officially launched the A350 freighter, and we've been waiting for this for the longest time. You mm. know, I think we've probably discussed it on the podcast ad, ad nauseum. Um, you know, there's I mean, been we rumors... were convinced it was going to be announced in May, I think, or the yeah, yeah mid-May. Yeah, I really did think it was... Well, we all knew it was coming, and finally yeah. it's official. You know, and this is a big deal for Airbus. They've only ever offered the A330-200F, and way back when they offered the A300 as a new build mm. cargo carrier. Um, but the A330F hasn't done brilliantly. There's only been 38 sold. It has a current backlog of precisely none. Um, so, you know, this is a huge move for Airbus to try and disrupt the dominance of Boeing in the freighter market. Um, and even as long back as the first quarter earnings call, um, Gil M. Forey said that Airbus was really not happy with the fact that there was a complete monopoly in terms of the um, the freighter market. Um, and he said that this was going to be an area where they'd be more aggressive and would invest moving forwards. Um, mm. But of course, for it to be official, they had to wait for board approval. And it seems that they got that just before the first half result. Um, so it is official. There is going to be an A350 based freighter. It's going to start delivering in 2025. So we've got a little bit to wait before we actually see it being uh, used around the world. Um, mm. You know, Forey said before that, you know, the feedback from his customers was that the wide bodies, particularly the A350, would be a really strong contender in the freight segment and they'd be, be keen for Airbus to do it. Um, but here we are, you know, several days later, nobody's made an order yet. Um, in fact, Qatar said that they wanted to be the launch customer for the freighter A350. Mm. Um, maybe by the time this podcast goes out, something will have changed. But as yet, we haven't seen any sort of whispers of an order I feel like it's still going to be a while because, you know, they said um, 2025 for launching this thing. And I feel like with the board approval to pursue it, maybe they're still nailing down the specifics. I don't know. Um, yeah, quite yeah, I mean, possibly. we know people are interested, but maybe, they, maybe it's not possible to order it yet. Who knows? Maybe it's not, but uh, I'm very excited to see who orders mm. it. I think, you know, Qatar's definitely up there, but yeah. potentially many of Airbus's customers, you know, wide body customers. I would love to will see a Lufthansa Cargo A350. I think it could be a great fit for Lufthansa as well. Mm. Um, potentially British Airways too, Tom. That would be your two favourite yeah, airlines. Yeah, the British Airways <laughs> isn't really cargo-y though. They don't know. They have They're IAG not. cargo, but IAG they just cargo use the, has been busy. the bellies. Yeah, true. Maybe they'd come back, but, you know, they had the free uh, 747-8s and got rid of them all, so... Yeah. Anyway, exciting times because mm. we've been waiting so long for this aircraft and uh, I can't wait to see it, even if they are making yes. us wait four years. <laughs> and if you're listening from Lufthansa, <laughs> make sure you get some. <laughs> Tom's not on commission, honest. No. Um, no, I just want to take nice pictures of them. <laughs> well, anyway... One place that they're probably not going to see any um, from the US operating anytime soon uh, is, that's a really bad segue, isn't it? <laughs> Apologies. Um, <laughs> but yeah, my next story is that the FAA has prohibited the um, US carriers from flying below flight level 260 in Afghanistan. And, um, you know, it's not a huge surprise to see the FAA updating its um it's risks for different countries. You know, we've seen before uh, when there was the uh, 747 uh, that was shot down in 
Iran, um, they there was the big sort of don't fly over there. Yeah. Um, because, you know, sometimes the worst does happen and it's always better to be safe than sorry. Of um, course. But on July 25th, the FAA banned most flights um, in the Kabul flight information region from flying below flight level 260. And there are a couple of exemptions from the flight ban, because obviously if you're landing at um, the Hamid Karazi, Karzai International <laughs> Airport, um, you know, you, you can't land if you can't go below uh, 26,000 feet. Um, and of course, if you've experiencing an emergency that will always take precedence over any sort of rules that are in uh, force because the number one thing is fly the airplane in an emergency um and it's interesting because they don't um they cited sort of like the security concerns in the region and it follows a mid-april um sort of note issued, not a ruling, but a note that was just saying um, Taliban forces intend to retaliate to the announcement that the withdrawal of US forces will be gradual and not immediate. So um, back then they said that this increased the risk to civil aviation and um, because the Taliban has previously attacked aviation interests by a variety of means. Um, and back then, it it wasn't a, a rule. It was just advising people against flying below flight level 330. But now it is a ban from flying right. below 260. Um, but it's not just the US that's saying this. So um, the French carriers have been told not to go below uh, flight level 260. Germany said um, you shouldn't really go below flight level 330. And the UK warns of a threat to aircraft below flight level 250. So um, it's not just the US saying this. And I mean, to be fair, I don't think there's a lot of uh, these carriers flying through that area anyway. So it's not really going to have a huge effect. But it is always better to be safe than sorry. And I'm sure that the airlines would not want to breach the rule either because in October 2020, um, we reported the Emirates ended up with a fine of $400,000 from the DOT for flying over Iran. Goodness. And you may be thinking, well, why is Emirates getting fined by the DOT if it's not a US carrier? Mm. The, the problem there was that they were using JetBlue's um, designated code on the flight share. So it was like EK flight, da, 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 and then JetBlue flight, blah, blah, blah. Um, and as soon as they realized they took the flight, uh, the code share f- code off but it wasn't soon enough so right you know like everyone's gonna want to make sure that they know if they're sort of code sharing with a u.s carrier as well yeah they've got to avoid that airspace yeah yeah that's quite a harsh fine Mm. i think they got off um for about half with good behavior for agreeing (laughs) that they would pay it and um doing it quickly but i mean i can't remember exactly the details of in our previous reporting on simple flying Oh, well, you should go and read it again, Tom, I think. I should, yeah. (laughs) Cool. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, our recent discussion with the EasyJet CEO. So apologies if you attended the webinar and this is a repeat, but these are my best bits (laughs) from our very interesting chat with Johan Lundgren. Um, So as you can imagine, you know, it was an interesting discussion, lots of insight. um, And I particularly found it interesting to hear his thoughts on how the airline made it through 2020. Um, Mm. You know, because 
EasyJet, you know, it is a low cost carrier. It's one of the biggest airlines in Europe. And it was kind of taking a different direction to some of the other low costs. For instance, you know, Ryanair kept flying even during the worst of it. You know, there were little flights going on. Wizz Air was ramping everything up (laughs) all over the place to try and, uh, you know, fill in the gaps from the airlines that had pulled their flights. EasyJet was um, one of the only airlines that grounded its entire fleet. Um, And Johan said that actually it was the hardest decision he had to make was to pull the entire fleet for those 11 weeks. And Mm. 2020 should have been its best year yet. You know, it had been continuously profitable basically since it was founded. Um, And they were on track to break a billion passengers. They had 300, more than 300 planes. Um, And they were really keen to have a great year. But, you know, you can't... uh, you can't disrupt Mother Nature, can you? So uh, he had to look objectively at the situation and say, you know, we don't know how long this is going to go on. The best solution for now is to conserve our cash and ground the fleet until we can restart effectively. Um, but, you know, even outside of the grounding, there were loads of other changes that went on over last year. And in particular, the airline was really keen to raise its liquidity, as I say, because they didn't know how long they needed to survive on what they had in the bank. Um, mm. So one of the things they did quite a lot of was sale and lease back. So this is where you you sell your aircraft to a leasing firm and they lease it back to you. So it doesn't really move. You know, it's still parked in your airport and still used by you. But obviously you get a nice cash lump sum um, for that plane. And through these transactions, the fleet ownership actually dropped from 70% owned to around 50% owned. So, you know, in some ways that could be seen as a negative because um, EasyJet's got less capital, less collateral. Um, But, you know, Lundgren said he was not worried about it at all. And in fact, of the 50% of his fleet they still own, 41% of that is unencumbered. Mm. Um, So, you know, there's still a cushion. There's still a a way to fall back on if things do go a bit pear-shaped again through the back half of the year. Um, And because they they were such a good company with such a good track record of being profitable, um, they they got some really good deals on these sale and leasebacks. So I think, you know, he's pretty happy with the way things are going. Um, What I found also interesting was that, you know, they managed to raise £5.5 billion through various forms of loans and and sale and leaseback and other capital raising activities but key mm. was they made half a million half a billion pounds in cost savings and he said around half of that will be sustainable long term so that's like 250 million pounds a year of fat that's been trimmed from the airline and you'd think you know with a low cost carrier it would have trimmed all that fat years ago but clearly yeah. easyjet didn't need to um so i think you know now it's going to be coming out in a much better position um, but, you know, with all these cost savings, looking at kind of trimming the, the amount that's going out of the bank every month, it might be slightly confusing to understand why it's focused on the primary airports. So, for example, here in the UK, it closed down Stansted and South End to focus Stansted in on... is a primary airport, if you ask me. <laughs> it's not, though. <laughs> to focus in on London Gatwick, um, which is clearly more expensive to fly to. Um, so I did ask him about that. And he said, you know, primary airports have already always been EasyJet's key focus. Hmm. Um, and he specifically said he doesn't want his airline to fly to a place you can't pronounce. I mean, I don't have a problem with Stansted, but I can see some people <laughs> might find it confusing. Um, but you get his point. You know, Ryanair yeah. often flies you to somewhere that's like 100 miles away from where you actually wanted to go. Although um, they're getting he a lot better. To... 
they are getting better. You do see more of them at the primaries, actually. Mm. But, uh, you know, this has been fundamental to EasyJet since the word go. Um, and he said 300 million passengers live within one hour of an EasyJet airport, which I think is incredible, really. Mm. Um so he's going to continue expanding at the primaries, very keen to take up more slots if they come up, um, you know, and he's jumped all over the, the Thomas Cook slots and the Norwegian slots at, um, at Gatwick when they did come up and he wants to continue to do that. Um, however, you know, hampering EasyJet's recovery is, of course, these travel restrictions. Um, you know, Lundgren said that most of the EU could have been on the green list for the UK back in May. It should all be on there right now. Um, mm. And, you know, despite the fact that the UK is now allowing um, double jab people in without quarantine, they've still got to take these PCR tests, which just yep. makes everything too expensive for the average person. So, you know, he's really pushing to get this removed and to, you know, use lateral flows, for instance, as a, yeah. a first port of call. Um, and finally, you know, we always speak about sustainability. Mr. Lundgren is very active with Airlines for Europe and various sustainability initiatives. Um, you know, he's keen to keep renewing his fleet and pushing forward the green agenda. But in particular, he was quite outspoken on the single European sky. Um, so if you're not aware of this issue, this is basically the idea that all the airspace above Europe is fragmented. Um, mm. You know, there are invisible borders in the sky that belong to different countries. And because of that, there are different air service navigation providers for each country. And when you get one that's overloaded because people have gone sick or maybe they've gone on strike or, you know, they've got a technical problem, it results in incredible inefficiencies. You know, airlines having to route all around Europe to get from A to B. Um, and the single European sky sets to remove these invisible barriers and create a kind of one and all um air traffic navigation system it hasn't happened it's been rumbling on for 20 years but yeah. when it does happen and i am if. confident it will eventually um you know it's widely accepted there'll be a 10 percent co2 reduction across the board for all airlines on average mm. um but mr lundgren says actually for easyjet that would be 15 percent or potentially even more um so you know it's an easy win for climate change um and you know something that we should have been doing years ago mm. um and of course we had to ask the perennial question about will they ever go long haul? Um, we discussed a little bit the A321 XLR and whether that was of interest. But uh, the situation now is that despite being the second largest airline in Europe, EasyJet still only has a market share of about 10%. So, you know, his take on it is that basically there's plenty of room to grow. Um, there's plenty of new places to go. And until he reaches a sort of saturation point in Europe, there's really no need to look further afield. So all this mm. business of going to the Middle East or going to India or going transatlantic, not going to happen until he's got, you know, sort of 30 or 40% market share. And I believe mm. he'll get there because uh, I think it's a great airline with some incredible leadership. So mm. that's that's my best bits. <laughs> Super. So if you did come to our EasyJet webinar, or even if you didn't, um, you can join me for a new webinar at the end of August. And I'm really excited about this one because we're having a chat with Etihad Aviation Group CEO, Tony Douglas. Um, and, you know, Etihad is such an interesting airline. They're, they're really reinventing themselves. And I'm excited to talk to Mr. Douglas about what their plans are. So this is going to be on the 31st of August at 1pm London time. Um, I recommend World Time Buddy if you live somewhere else and can't figure out what time that is in your time zone. Don't ask <laughs> me, I'm terrible with them, as Tom will tell you. Um, but please do join us for our webinar. Visit simpleflying.com for more details. 
Super. I'm, well, I'm excited to listen to that one as well. Um, I just kind of wanted to end today on sort of a really kind of lighthearted story. So you've seen, obviously, the terrible floods that we've had in Germany, thankfully, not mm. in Frankfurt, but um, lots of people affected. Yeah. It turns out the the aviation industry is keen to help out here. So you, you, we talked about aviation tag before, making bits of planes into key rings. Yeah. And... Maybe a year ago or more, we must have discussed that they were selling parts of the first A380 to be retired. Oh, right. So at the time, they made 7,000 tags, and um, obviously it's limited edition. They sold these in, I think, about 24 hours. It was crazy. They sold them quicker than you can say aviation tag <laughs> yeah um, but it seems as though a couple weren't sold at all and these are specifically serial numbers uh 6991 through 7000 okay um, each of these pieces is pretty unique because most have just the plain white of the Singapore Airlines livery, but um, these tags are cut from where it says cut here in emergency in big red lettering. Uh, right. So they're already more interesting than just your average plain white um, aviation tag. But What's even more interesting is that um, one of them has the serial number 7,000 out of 7,000. So um, that's quite exciting. Um, that one's got the red letters EME and then the start of the R right down the Ooh. middle of it. Um, they started bidding at uh, one euro. And when I looked just now, the most expensive one was going for 7,700, um, sorry, 770 euros. Um, and along with a catering trolley that they're auctioning, so far they've raised over 5,000 euros. Oh, that's good. So these auctions are going until August 8th. So hopefully they'll raise a bit more um, for these communities by then. And um None of the sales from the tags will benefit Aviation Tag themselves. Instead, they're going to send half of the money to the NRW Health campaign, uh, which is looking after sort of the general um, fundraising for the incident. But then the other half is going to go directly to the district of Arweiler, which was uh, directly impacted by the floods. Was um, that the town where half of it ended up in the yeah. like down a cliff or something? It was the yeah, pretty much were insane. It looked terrifying. It was. I'm I'm very glad that it wasn't in Frankfurt, but it's so sad that it's happened at all. But it's not just yeah. aviation tag that's helping out because Boeing's actually revealed that it's donating half a million euros as well oh, wow. um, to the American Red Cross to help with the flood relief and. Um, you know, it's it, you, we don't hear so much about Boeing's good deeds, but this, they do they they do do good because when Australia was on fire, I think it was the start of last year. Yeah, um, they contributed to that and they gave um, basically a quarter of a million euros to Germany German communities last year. Anyway, without any significant disaster, so it's it's right. really. Nice to see that everyone's helping out where they can, if they can. Yeah, they seem to do a lot of charity work. That's great. Mm. And, uh, you know, I do hope for those poor people that are affected by the flooding, they get sorted soon because uh, yeah. it seems to kind of hit the headlines and then it goes away. But it's going to take mm. years to rebuild that town. So uh, yeah. best wishes to all of them. Mm. Well, I think that's about all we've got time for today. We hope you enjoyed our podcast and welcome your feedback, as usual, at podcast at simpleflying.com. For more great content, you can visit our website at simpleflying.com or find us on social media. Simply search for Simple Flying. 
If you enjoyed our podcast, please do leave us a rating on your favourite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Bye.